are telling our story. And you would think that would be the easiest thing in the world, right? But um, this last week, as I was going through details, and, and memories are funny things because you want to make sure that the memory is true, and, and it's kind of like what your siblings have, and that you haven't manufactured things in your mind. So this has been a really interesting week for me because um, the Lord gives you insight as you go through these memories and as you go through these circumstances that happened. And I was talking to some of y'all earlier and during the week, and they're like, we just want to hear the dirt. We want to hear the good stuff. I'm like, yeah, well, we've all got dirt, but some of it's more interesting dirt than others. So you got a really good, interesting dirt last week, and this is a bit more moderate, but I'll try to, so I have more pictures. But um, yes, I'm just going to dive right in, and if I need a Kleenex, the, the, the wonderful gentleman in the green room will bring me one. I was raised Quaker for the first 15 years of my life. Some of you will know these details and some of you won't. And that's very interesting. The Quaker faith is, is similar. It's, it's Christian. You believe in faith, um, Jesus Christ and salvation. All those things are the same, but they don't practice water baptism. Now, of course, I know that that's not something I believe now, but at the time that was what we practiced. And it was interesting when you tell people that you're a Quaker, one of two things were almost always said. The first was this. They thought this is how you dressed. They thought this is how you rode around town. And they thought this is how you lived your life. But this is, who is this people? This is the, this is the Amish. Very close. They're all good cooks. But we um, had electricity and running water and, and road cars and things like that. Then the second comment I would always get is this. Every single time. These two were always the top two out of the top five responses. There aren't many Quakers here in Florida, so it's probably a lot more strange to you than it was where I was raised. Um, we, my, my mother and father were missionaries. They had missionary hearts, even though my father ended up being a pastor. And we moved around a lot. So I was counting as I was coming up with my testimony, and we had moved eight times before I reached the age of 14. And when you move around a lot, those of you that are, that are Navy brats or, or things like that, you know how hard it is to, to get roots, to, set, to make new friends, and to, and to have lasting relationships. And that's something that plagues me to this day, is getting connected with people in a real way. Because just about the time you would have a friendship established, then it would be time to move on again. So um, my parents had me in Cleveland, stayed for about a year, and then we moved to the mission field again. And this picture is going to look so weird because it's so old. When you're in your sixth decade of life, a lot of the pictures look really old. I mean, even pictures from the 70s, they're like, oh, they're yellow and brown and just awful. But this one is absolutely insane. Yes. And that's me right there on my dad. Now those gloves are crazy. I would love a pair of gloves like that today. My father was not a workman, so to see him, he was more a man of, of, of education, so to see him in those gloves is, is really funny. But we were here, um, this is a picture taken in Alberta, Canada. We worked, or they worked, with the um, Inuit Indians, and it was um, rough. My mom had a rough, rough time. I read some of her letters to her sister. She comes from a family of nine children, and she talked about some of the difficulties that they had. So from there, we, 
moved to um, outside of Greensboro, a little town called Sophia. And from there, we spent the most time there that we had in my entire life. We were there for seven years. And from that, I got my love of all things Southern. So even though we were only there seven years, it was my formative years. And so I feel like I'm a Southerner, even though I was born in Cleveland. So This was um, a difficult time for my mother. Uh, she came from a family of nine, nine children. And her parents were not saved. And uh, they were very, very rough. Very rough. And she remembers a lot of physical fighting and that type of thing in their household. But when we moved to Sophia, um, the women of that church were so gracious. And they took my mother under their wing. I mean, she was the pastor's wife. They didn't have to. But they taught her how to sew. And they taught her how to cook. And they did so many things for her that she sewed into us. She um, was not raised in a Christian home, so when she was in high, right out of high school, she got pregnant, uh, much like Pastor Mark's story. We both have a, a sibling, uh, someone in our family that got pregnant when they were not married. She, after, the, after the baby was born, she came to the faith and went to Bible school where she met my dad. And when they got married, he adopted my oldest sister. Her name was Nancy. He adopted her as his daughter. So there were um, six of us children in all, and um, it was fun. I loved being a part of the big family. So here we are. <laughs> this, is the, this is the best picture I could find, people. And I, almost, I still look kind of cross-eyed or something. I don't know. What. I was trying to find a really, really, really cute picture, and this was it. I'm, yeah, of, of all the pictures. But... Um, I was trying to figure out some of the things that I struggled with growing up, and it's not that it was hard, but you, you examine your memories to make sure if it's not something that you've invented or something that you've embellished over the years or something that you've made worse than it was or, or made it better than it really was. And so I tried my best, which has been one of the hard things, to really find out what was truth for me. So even if, if maybe say I would have a sibling that would disagree with that that happened the way that I saw it, it was still real for me. It was how I processed what was happening around me. And the thing that I struggled with the most, I'm gonna give you three instances, is uh, fear and anxiety and worry. There are, I'm gonna talk about three instances where these, I believe that these feelings came where, um, where the fear came in. Back in this day, and we're going back 50 plus years, people, so you youngins, just hang on. It's still, people are still the same, even though the years have passed. But by now, it was the early 60s. I was born in 55. And so, of course, this was what happened all through the 60s. What was the big thing on society that happened then? What war was that? The Vietnam War. Now, Quakers were what we call nonviolent, which means they did not believe in war. So you can imagine how that went down in the, the non-Quaker community, um, they the Quakers believed that if, since war was happening, they would take care of the families that were left behind, and they would take care of the soldiers when they returned. So that's what my family did, um, and that's what our church did. But there were some instances that happened in my early childhood that really marked me and took me quite a few years to um, allow the Lord to heal me. And I'll give you those three examples. Now, once again, before I start, I'll just give you a, a, a preface. Back in the day, and when I say back in the day, you'll go back 50 years, right? It's not like 
you know, 20 years ago. But back then, it was, it was um, important for families to take care of their parents, their grandparents. So when my mom and dad would take my father's father, my grandfather, into the home, when he would, and what they would um, euphemistically call drying out. Does anybody know what that phrase means? Okay. Uh, my father's father was a, a, an alcoholic. He was a mean drunk. He wasn't one of those nice, jolly men that, that, that tell sloppy stories when they get drunk. He was a mean drunk. And so uh, my mom and dad would... Kleenex? I didn't get as far as I thought I would. My mom and dad would take him into our home. And there would be a bedroom on the downstairs floor. And that was his room when he was in our house. And we were sternly warned never to go into that room. Never to be alone with Grandpa. We didn't know, you know, we didn't know what was going on. That's the age I was, and we didn't know what in the heck was going on. But we knew not to go in that room. But you could hear sounds from that room. So we would hear moaning and groaning, and him trying to get out of the detox of alcohol. This this happened over and over again, and you would hear, "Thank you, son." You would hear cursing. Of course, we didn't, I, us kids didn't know it was cursing, but it was, you know, just foul language and cursing and screaming every time he would come and dry out. So that, those visits from Grandpa really allowed fear to enter my heart because I really didn't know what was going on. I didn't know what was happening. My mom and dad tried to separate us from that as much as they could, but, you know, children... Um, notice a lot more than they think we do. The second thing that I think happened that was adding to this trauma in my life was I had an uncle that was once again on my father's side of the family. Wow, that doesn't sound good. For those of you that know me, I love my father and he was a wonderful man. So this, this isn't his fault. But his brother had gone to prison. This is Uncle Jack in his white James Dean t-shirt. I don't know what he was trying to look like here, but anyway. But he had gotten out of prison. He had gone to prison. He had been um, riding around in a car um, in college or college age. I don't think he even went to college. And they had been drinking and somebody had brought a gun. So he took the gun and shot it out the window. It actually hit the person in the car next to them and killed them. So he got sent to prison. So when he got out, they said, we'll release you. However many years he was there, we'll release you into the care of your family. And so my mother and father brought him into our home as well. And I remember, what I remember of of my uncle was that he was very nervous, um, shaking all the time, and he was just very unpleasant. He was very unpleasant to be around. It made me very uncomfortable. And his presence in our home, living there, brought a lot of fear and worry into my life. And the third example, there, there are others I could give you, but these are just um, things that are emblazoned in my mind. The third example is um, one of the, another thing that the Quakers would do. We sound like we were really busy, didn't we? But they would take care of people in the neighborhood, and regardless of their color, we bring them into our home, or the people in the church would bring them in their home, and that caused um, a lot of tension because remember it was the '60s, and there was a lot of racial tension in those days. And so one night I was shaken awake. We all us kids slept upstairs, 
And my father herded all of us kids down. And he kept us in the living room because there were, and I have told this story once before, there was, I heard noises, and I heard trucks and spinning tires and yelling and screaming and all this stuff. And all I can remember is seeing the hoods, of course, the cowards always wore hoods, and um, a cross burning in our yard. And that incident, once again, just brought such fear into my life. And I can see, thinking, when we were thinking, when I was thinking and preparing for today, I can see the scheme of the enemy. I can see the tactic of the enemy to make worry and fear and anxiety woven into my fabric from a young age. I know my older sister and I, we noticed, you know, when Pastor David last week said that there's no corner, there's no nook, there's no cranny that your children won't look into, peek into, stick their hand into or whatever. And that's true. My older sister and I noticed that my father um, started carrying or started keeping a, a pistol under his mattress because I don't know why we were looking under mattresses, but, you know, got to do something. So we noticed that even though he was very nonviolent, didn't believe in violence, we noticed that he started carrying a gun after this little incident. But all throughout this, this time in my childhood, this seven years, my mom, even though she was busy and, and, um, and we felt like she didn't have time, but she did. And I was, we had talked once before about the three things that... Um, Three ingredients that children need. These ingredients are irreplaceable. You can't exchange them for something else. And if you remember, those three ingredients are I am loved here in my family. I belong here in my family. And I am safe here in my family. And I believe that third ingredient was missing in my life growing up. Because of this, the times, because of the busyness of my parents, because of my own natural bent and my own natural disposition. But that sense of safety was missing in my life. And it was a, a huge open door for the enemy to come in and, and stunt the work that God was going to do in my life. But all while these other things were going on, my mother was an ardent believer that we should learn the scripture, that we should know what the Bible teaches. And Quakers have a, um, a real insight into understanding that even young children need to understand and hear and recognize the voice of the Holy Spirit. So she was extremely careful to instruct us in the scriptures. So superimposed over all of these incidents were the days and the weeks and the months and the years that she would have us memorize scriptures. And every summer, our, our big joy, our big thing to do was we got to pick out a book of the Bible. And this is gonna just seem crazy compared to today. But we would take all summer and we would illustrate it. We would write it all in our hand, you know, our handwriting. And of course, I would pick the smallest books you could find. And once you've eliminated Jude and once you've eliminated first, second, third John, you know, you gotta go on to some bigger books. So I, you know, got Titus and First and Second Timothy, trying to pick those small books, but we were had to write them all out by hand and illustrate them. Of course, I, for everyone that says anyone can learn to draw, anyone, I don't believe that. I couldn't. So I got to paste pictures everywhere because I couldn't. I could draw like a flower with a smiley face, and that was about it. 
And then, we, then she also required us to do a commentary. What did we think those verses meant? What did we think verse one meant? What did we think verse two? And I wish I had kept those booklets. But so we did that all summer long. And then once a summer, we would go to Quaker camp. Now, doesn't that sound like fun? Woo, Pastor David. I think I saw you at Quaker camp one summer. Quaker camp, I know people, this is so sad. But it was there that I also learned to love for, for God. It was there that I walked the aisle when I was 10 and asked Jesus into my heart and really, really knew what it meant and really knew that the Holy Spirit was in a part of my life. And as I was, as Pastor Mark was helping me with these pictures, and I saw these two pictures together in just a flash of insight, I, re I recognized the assignment that had been part of my life from a young age, that of fear. And then I saw superimposed beside that, I saw how God worked that same time. He was still working in my life. He was still, he had a plan for me at 10. He had a plan for me at 11. He had a plan for me at 12. And even though there were circumstances that were horrific, and terribly frightening, frightening, all the while, my mom was sowing seeds of the word of God into my life, sowing seeds of the Bible. I'm so thankful for that. So as I would write out scriptures, I came across the one in 2 Timothy that says, God has not given us the spirit of, but of power and love and self-discipline. And those things helped me. Another verse I wrote was, when I am afraid, I will trust in you. And those scriptures brought such comfort to my heart. So fast forward, we then reached the end. You could only stay usually five years, but we were there seven years. We couldn't stay any longer. So we, uh, he wanted to go back on the mission field. My father always had a love for Spanish-speaking countries, always had a love for Ecuador, Peru, and he wanted to go on the mission field, so we had to go learn the language. So we were sent uh, to San Jose, Costa Rica, and we were there for a year learning the language ended up that we didn't have the, the funding to go on because we were a family, a large family. And so we came back. Now, my oldest sister, who had, my dad had adopted, she fell in love. She was 17 when we went to the mission field. And she didn't want to be separated from her um, boyfriend. He was a young man that was in the FBI. So at 17, she got special permission to marry him. And she stayed stateside when we, when we went on the mission field. So after that year, we came back, and since there aren't many places in Florida that were Quakers, we decided we needed, he decided he needed to maybe switch to another um, Protestant uh, church. So we stayed with my mom's mom and dad, and they lived, they used to call them trailers, but now they call them motor home, mobile homes or, or th other, other words, but there were, let's see, five children, two adults, seven of us with my grandma and grandpa in a trailer for quite a while. And so finally he got uh, a position at, do y'all know where College Park Methodist Church is downtown on Edgewater? Okay, so he was the associate pastor there. And, but the only, the only condition was we had to be baptized. So we all, mom, dad, all of us kids, we all knelt there at the the vestibule, the, where the altar was. And I remember the, the district superintendent pouring water over each of our heads. And just like that, 
we were Methodists. So, and John Wesley and all that comes with him, I love it, love it, love it. So, uh, we were in College Park. I went to Lee Middle School for a little while. We loved Tiberias. I hated leaving Tiberias. I was mad at my parents for about a year for leaving Tiberias. I had a boyfriend there. What, well, I called him boyfriend. I, I don't even know if he knew it, but I liked him, and I didn't want to leave. So we went from Tiberias, and I went to Lee for six months. Have you ever tried to fit into a middle school in six months, make friends, and know you're leaving the next year? It is brutal. It's brutal. So then we got a job. So after he did his tenure at College Park Methodist, we moved to South Orlando, and he got two small churches that he would pastor. We stayed there for a while, and I went to Boone High School, and that's where I met Pastor Mark. And, um, and the Lord just has such a sense of humor. I have four minutes, four minutes to get 30 years. <laughs> yeah, yeah, okay. I met Pastor Mark, and the Lord takes someone who is fearful and anxious and worried and puts her with a man who has never known fear in his life, laughs at every difficulty, thinks it's all great fun. Yeah, that's what he did. And so he asked me out a couple times in high school, and I said, nope, he scared the living daylights out of me. I just thought, I don't even, I don't even know how to be around somebody like this. So we never went out in high school. He settled for sloppy seconds all through high school. And then, and then in, okay, now people, you have to still love me after you see this picture, okay? Now remember, I was raised as a Quaker, so I must have had my rum springer because that was my wedding dress. Oh, have mercy. Have mercy. Anyway, there's our engagement picture and wedding picture. So the first three and a half years were wonderful. Who doesn't love being married? You can do whatever you want, as often as you want. My kids are dying on the front row. But you know what I mean. We uh, joined an Assembly of God church called Calvary Assembly. Both, most of y'all know where that is down off of Park. We met a wonderful couple that was also newlyweds named Mike and Moggy McCubbin, sitting right there, give away, Mike and Moggy. We were in young couples together having the time of our life. But Calvary Assembly is an Assembly of God church. So guess what I had to do next? It wasn't enough to be poured in the Assembly of God. I had to be immersed. So just like that, I was Assembly of God. Um, after that, we, I had a miscarriage, and then I was pregnant with Crystal, and I, and I started having some symptoms that were synonymous with, with losing another baby, and I was, I was back to my roots. I was anxious and worried and fearful. I forgot to tell you before, it got so bad as a child that one day my mom said, uh, it's time to go to school, go catch the school bus, whatever. I said, I just can't go, I can't go, and I would stand there and wring my hands. And she opened, she took my hands, and she was going to talk with me. And in my hands were fistfuls of hair that was just falling out. I was that intensely worried as a child and that anxious. And so when my mom saw that, she just, she lost it. She didn't know what to do. Counseling wasn't really something you did 50 years ago. It was, you know, you, you know, go talk to your pastor or whatever, but it didn't really. So she struggled through that with me. 
but um, I will quickly tell you where the, the point of today. The next 10 years were really hard. We um, loved our time at Calvary, but my husband got an offer to start a chimney business up in Pennsylvania, right outside of Philadelphia, and we thought we should take it. So we packed Crystal up, and off we went up to Philadelphia, which was wonderful. The name of the chimney business was Chimtex, and he worked hard, as you know Pastor Mark does, and uh, but the thing was, we lived in one room upstairs with his family, and they were wonderful people, but we lived in one room with Crystal, and then uh, Sarah came along. She was born in Bryn Mawr, and so it was Crystal and Sarah and Pastor Mark and I in one room, and, I, and he was working uh, at the time. It, was, it became the largest chimney business in America. That's how hard he worked. He had a partner, but he was also associate pastor or youth pastor at an Assembly of God Church, so... I never saw him. I never saw him. This was before cell phones. Uh, he worked 14, 15 hour days. This went on for four and a half years. So finally, we saved money. We knew we needed to move back and be with our parents and my family. And his dream was to build a home. So um, his sister-in-law had um, a bunch of acres. I can't remember, hundreds of acres that she, was inherited, that she had inherited. And she said, uh, brother-in-law, if you'll go and what they say, cruise the land, look at over the trees and see what they're good for, see how much money I can make and what I should do with them, then you can cut down as many trees as you'd like for, to, to build you a log home. He's like, it sounds like a good deal. So we moved back to Orlando. Um, and I actually stayed in Lake City because Mark, for nine months, went to Alabama he took a, a, a young man that worked with him um, in the chimney business. And for nine months, he cut down trees. And he came home not very often. And so I would stay with my mom and, and Crystal and Sarah. And we did that for nine months. Um, he got finished, cut down all the trees, had him shipped home. And the, by then, the money that we had saved had run out. So he needed to get another job. So he started another business. He's an excellent businessman. And he did a turnkey business at, back then. What, do you, who remembers what UCF used to be called before UCF? FTU. That's when it was still called FTU. And he had a turnkey business. So he would get in there and he would clean out the apartments, repaint them uh, between semesters or between years. And that's what he did. He made a lot of good money doing that. But he also took a job as the youth pastor because he wasn't busy enough. And so he was a youth pastor at um, a, a, a very prominent church here in Orlando at the time. He was gone all the time. So I would go back and forth between Lake City with the children and his parents' house in south side of Orlando. And when I couldn't take that any longer or they couldn't take us any longer, I'd go back to Lake City. I'd stay there for months. And then I'd come back to Orlando. This went on for about four years. And it was a really, really, really tough time. The, the, the first 15 years of our marriage, apart from the time we were young, newlyweds, was very difficult. This is a picture. It's kind of blurry because every picture from the 70s looks blurry in the early 80s. That's Crystal and Sarah. And that's when he first started. And then here's another picture of him. So when he wasn't working, getting that business going, on Saturdays, he was out there. So the children and I would go out there so we could be with him. And then Sundays, of course, was always dedicated to church. We always had that. This went on for, like I said, four years. 
And finally, I'm like, I can't, I can't, we gotta get a place. Just well, the house isn't ready to move into you. I said, I can't do this, I, honey, I need, a, I need a place to live. So we moved into what we affectionately called the Roach House. And that was on the south side of town. We lived there for one year. And then he was out on the property. So then one day, he said, I think we can move in. Now, this is the closest picture I can find to how the house looked when we moved in so that you won't think I'm making this up. We did have running water. We did have electricity, and the house was dried in. That means we had windows, we had a roof. This is the closest picture I can find. It looks like something from Green Acres. That ladder was going upstairs to our non-existent upper. We used a microwave for years. And so we moved into the house that looked very much like this, and Aslan was six months old. So this was our life for um, a long time, uh, another three, four years, and it was really rough. I, by some stroke of genius, decided to homeschool Crystal and Sarah because I didn't have enough stress in my life. I thought, why don't we homeschool with no support out here in the middle of nowhere? No, no car, um, there was only house lines, there were no cell phones, it wasn't like, and besides that, homeschooling was practically illegal back in the early 80s. So you all can thank us that paved the way for those of y'all that enjoy homeschooling because we would have people from the city when he was gone would knock on our door and say, you know, it's not legal for you to be living here. You don't have, you can't be living here with young children. I had a door and that door opened both ways. But, and then I'd come, then knock, you know, it's, you're not supposed to be homeschooling. These kids need to be in school. Why aren't these kids in school? So we'd go through all that rigmarole of our rights versus the law and all that kind of stuff. It was so stressful. So at one point, at some point, four years later, I had reached a breaking point. And this is where I'm going to stop when the church got started. But I had reached a breaking point. And my endocrine system just kind of got out of whack. It was, um, I had had some problems with my thyroid and something just weird happened with my body and I just could not take care of the children anymore. Just, I was just sick. Not sick like bacteria or germs, but internally there was something off. So my mom came down from Lake City and, and pe packed me and the children up. And sometime during all this time, Jared was born. I don't even remember during this time when you were, I seriously, I tried to think of it. I was trying to do the timeline and I cannot remember when that boy was born. I know that he was, but I just can't remember. So it's all a haze. And so we went, she packed us up and we went to Lake City and a week goes by and my mom's taking care of the kids and boy, you can get used to that fast, can't you? When mama and, and dad's there taking, you know, doing everything at the boy. So 10 days go by, and two weeks go by, and I get a call. Still, we don't have cell phones yet, people. This is still the 80s or early 90s, whatever. And it's Mark, and he's like, honey, when are you coming home? I was thinking about all the years I would call him at work. When are you coming home? You gotta get home. Living out there with no car. When are you coming home? So he called and said, Honey, when are you coming home? And I tell you to this day, everything inside of me wanted to say, I'm, I'm not coming home. 
was so hard. It was so difficult. And I tell you, if, if we, as Christians, if we allow ourselves to live by our feelings, if our feelings become truth, if our feelings become the thing that we judge everything else by, the enemy would have had his way in my life. His plan would have worked because my feelings were, I'm not coming home. I don't want to take care of this mess anymore. I want someone to take care of me. But the Holy Spirit, who had been my guide, whose voice I loved better than my own, did what only he can do. He softened a heart that had gotten hard. And he strengthened a body that was tired. And finally I said, yes, I'm coming home. So let me encourage you, no matter what you struggle with, your soul needs to find an anchor in the word of God. Your soul, your, your mind, your emotions, and your will need to be anchored to the word of God, not to your feelings, because remember a while back there was a game show and they would say, final answer? If your final answer is my feelings, you'll be lied to every time. You will end up sorry with the decisions that you make. When your final answer is, but what does God's word say? What is the truth of God's word? My truth isn't the truth. My truth was I didn't want to go back home. My truth was I didn't want to live like that anymore. My truth was I was tired of the life that I had chosen. But God's truth helped me get through those horrible times. And it was right after that. It wasn't horrible because of our relationship. It was horrible because of the decisions we had made to get there. And it wasn't long after that I mean, it was not long after that that the Lord dropped in our heart that we needed to start a church. That wouldn't have happened if I let my feelings be the final dictator for every decision that I made. And I'm going to tell you one more quick story, and then as Pastor David comes up, I got home from that infamous trip. And there was a beautiful bouquet of flowers on the, we didn't have counters, so it was a table. Beautiful bouquet of, I'm totally healed, by the way. A, to, a beautiful bouquet of flowers. And I'm like, oh, honey, oh, you know, I was gushing, you do, doing what wives do, so maybe they'll do it again, you know, if you give them enough. Oh, honey, it was beautiful. Oh, honey, honey, honey. And he just looked at me and smiled, like, oh, he's being magnanimous. He's being gracious. He's being whatever. So about two weeks later, I was at church, and one of the men that was in, that served with us, came running up to me. He said, Crystal, did you get the flowers I sent you? I couldn't believe it, but then, you know, I, yes, thank you. And I had to act like I knew they were from him all this time. <laughs> Young men, 
do not copy your pastor in this one thing. So I have thought, I can't, I can't preach a sermon and I have a Bible verse. So here's a Bible verse, people take it and let's go. <laughs> There's something, Pastor David, please. Okay. I always feel uncomfortable when mom and dad fight in front of me. I'm just kidding. It'll happen tonight at family night. Anyway, um, wonderful, wonderful testimony. Thank you for sharing that with all of us. Agree? Good? Let's stand. We'll pray. Holy Spirit, you know the hearts in the room, and you know where we need our hearts to be softened. So speak your truth to us, and we will bend to that instead of trying to conform you to what we think and feel. So Lord, if there, if there are hearts here that are hardened and that need the truth spoken to them in love, then we ask that you do that now and that you heal and that you bring things back to what they need to be. And we praise you and we thank you for the testimony and the life that you have unfolded in front of us in Dr. Crystal. We love her and we are thankful for her and thank you for giving her to us. And we thank you for everything that you do for us every day. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. And before you leave, uh, Growth Track class number two is happening next door and next week will be a baptism Sunday. So if you've not been baptized and you want to do that, sign up online, let us know. We'll get you in the water. Have a good week.